0: The Trafficked Podcast with Mariana Van Zeller is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. One night in a hotel room in Atlanta, I watched a woman known to me as Miss T inject a clear substance into another woman's butt.
1: There's only two folks. Oh
0: my God. You ready? Mm. Looks painful. It was liquid silicone and its purpose to create curves. So what's
1: that? Well, I use a little bit of glue to keep the puncture mark closed.
0: The problem is, this substance is not FDA-approved for cosmetic injections and can be very dangerous. According to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, there were well over 20,000 legal butt enhancement surgeries last year, and who knows how many more on the black market. So that's it?
1: Yeah.
0: Wait, and now you just get dressed and you leave?
1: Yeah.
0: So the whole thing took about 15 minutes?
1: Yeah.
0: The injection I witnessed isn't an isolated event. I was investigating the industry of black market injections because they're being done all over the country. And the pumpers, people injecting the shots, often have no medical training at all. But they can make thousands of dollars in just 15 minutes. I'm Mariana Van Zeller, the host of the National Geographic TV series, Trafficked. Each week on the series, I dive into a different black market and meet people who make their living inside it. But this is a little different. From National Geographic and Muck Media, this is the Trafficked Podcast. Each week, I'll bring you the story of one person who made it big in the black market, how they lived the high life, and how it all came crashing down.
1: I felt like I was empowering women by helping them become as lovely and curvaceous and bootylicious as possible. This is the
0: Black Madam. She worked as a black market pumper for 20 years. She got her start serving the transgender community and says that she loved giving people the bodies of their dreams. And there was big money for her in this underground business.
1: I made about $100,000 that day.
0: But her story is about how things can go wrong fast. It's a deadly
1: game of Russian life.
0: More after the break.
1: Hello, this is a free call from... Paige Victoria. An incarcerated individual at SCI Muncie. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. Hello, Mariana?
0: This is Mariana, how are you? Uh,
1: Hi, how are you? This is, this is Madam.
0: When I talk to the Black Madam, her chosen nickname, she's calling from a state prison in Pennsylvania.
1: My name is Paige Victoria Winslow. Better known throughout uh, through my music recordings and my brand as Black Madam. Um, everyone refers to me as Madam.
0: Tell me a little bit about your background, Madam. What was your childhood like?
1: Oh, okay, so um, I was very misunderstood because I recognized my transgender status. Like when I was in the Mississippi and potty trade, I knew there was something wrong, especially when my sister Sherry was born, who was right underneath me. And I would ask my mom, like, well, Why do we have different private areas? And my mom explained that, you know, the girls have this and the boys have that. And that's when I I kind of got really upset that I was considered a boy. And um, that became the beginning of all my problems. My mom and dad were only 15 and 16 years old raising me. So um, they didn't know what to do with this two-year-old talking about I'm a girl. I mean, at five years old, I actually tried to cut it off.
0: Madam describes a childhood in the 70s and 80s full of pain and confusion.
1: When I was younger, being this effeminate boy that looked so much like a girl, I didn't fit in anywhere. But where I did fit in was on the stage. I was able to express myself, and nobody ridiculed me. Nobody said anything to me. I was, like, kind of risen up.
0: She loved singing and performing, but off the stage, Madam says she felt that something was missing.
1: On my 21st birthday, when my mom asked me what did I want for my birthday, and I handed them a picture of a sexy girl who she thought I wanted a prostitute. And I said, no, that's actually um, a transgender, and I want a sex change. And my mom, of course, she clutched pearls and made a big deal of it and said, oh, you'll have to talk to your father about that when he gets in. So um, I talked to him, and he said, you know, you can be a homosexual boy if you'd like, like your homosexual cousin on your mom's side of the family. You know, we'll continue to support you through college and take care of you. But if you think that, you know, you're going to be wearing dresses and doing this whole shenanigans around the house, uh, I-, I won't care of it, and I'd rather see you dead. I left the house, and I came back that next day and got all my worldly possessions, and me and my father didn't talk for 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. I stood by my guns and um, I made my way.
0: Actually, let me ask you something. Why Madam? How did you come up with that name?
1: Um, I used to actually be a madam. It never really was in me. It was just a means to an end for me to make the money, to have my sex change, and also to not be tossed out on the street because I I would have had to go home to my parents and that would have meant taking off my dress and getting my hair cut and pleasing my father. So that wasn't going to happen. I knew girls that did this did the business anyway, but they were streetwalkers, and I brushed them off and cleaned them up, and that would be the way that my name came about as Madam.
0: In the early 90s, Madame used some of the money she earned from her business to pay for what she refers to as sex change surgery.
1: What I'm about to tell you was just very gruesome.
0: It is. She's about to describe a pretty horrific experience. She flew to South America, to undergo surgery.
1: It seemed very back alley I should say. But he was a doctor. He just gave me a shot of numbing and he literally put me on the table with syrups that a woman would get a gynecological pap smear with. Mm-hmm. And I remember I took a boyfriend with me and he weighed out he stayed outside but he literally said he could hear my nails clawing the wall that I was scratching because the doctor just basically took a, a knife and cut my mm-hmm. testicles open. Clamped me down. I said I can remember feeling something pulling and tugging in my chest as he clamped down on the arteries and just cut my testicles right out and put them on the table beside me. Uh, sewed me up, gave me a few antibiotic pills, and sent me on my way.
0: And you weren't on back. any general anesthesia or anything like that.
1: No, no. I I watched everything. I watched is- everything. I felt everything, and um, that was the beginning of everything. But I was willing to do that to start getting on the path of my transition. This was the only way that I knew back then.
0: Procedures like this, underground and overseas, came about because of how difficult it was, and still is, for the trans community to access health care.
1: A few weeks later, I started traveling up and down to New York with my friend Angel getting silicone and silicone. I didn't know what these injections were, but she told me that they would make us lovely and we should go get them. So we jumped on a, a Greyhound and went up to New York. The first woman I saw was very well known up in New York. She's notorious throughout the trans community.
0: What was your first silicone injection like?
1: I will I will <laughs> tell you, it was like fire underneath the skin. She had marked me and just began uh, injecting a clear white fluid. I didn't know what it was, I just knew that I like what I saw from the other girls.
0: But, Were you um, scared?
1: I was very scared, but it was all overridden by my quest for perfection mm-hmm. and to, to look more feminine.
0: And it did it, it hurt?
1: It hurt like hell. It was like I had been very thin and more athletic. Uh, she had quite a time. So it was a lot of stretching and everything. Um, and this was done without numbing for anything.
0: So how soon after that, after the injections, did you notice anything different in your body?
1: Oh, you notice it uh, immediately. I was amazed. I I had hips and curves and everything. And um, I was definitely not looking like a boy downstairs. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of the draw to the whole procedure. It's instant gratification. I had gone being on the fringes of society as a child not fitting in with the boys, but not yet girl enough to be called the girl, I literally felt like I went from being an ugly duckling to a swan.
0: And so how soon after did you decide you wanted to get more injections?
1: She got me on a monthly course, but once I linked up with the next service provider, I was allowed to come to her every week. It was buttock injections, it was hip injections, it was breast injections.
0: Were, were injections, were, were they legal at the time?
1: What I came to realize that the injections were always illegal. At the time, though, getting them done, I was young. It was just something, oh, you go get it done, like you go get a past too. so mm-hmm. it wasn't much thought of it.
0: Why not get actual plastic surgery?
1: A lot of this stuff was out of reach for inner-city girls like myself, also coupled with the fact that it wasn't something legal. So um, you had to go through that route to get it done to the black market.
0: Madam says that the person injecting her was the first person to teach her how to perform the injections as well.
1: She knew that I didn't want to be a madam Mm at heart, even though I made all this money, but she wanted to give me something else under my belt to take care of myself when I should not want to be in the adult business anymore. So she taught me how to do the injections. It was a lot of just transgender girls that were interested in getting the work done.
0: Madam says she did some injections, but stopped and spent a few more years running her escort business. But she was growing increasingly uncomfortable with that industry.
1: I didn't like the fact that I was facilitating an avenue in which men could cheat on their women, and they did. One day I got a call from my friend, she was just saying, you know, sis, uh, I get a lot of attention from the work that you did on my body years ago, and girls were coming up asking me about how do I get my body this way. So she said, you know, maybe you can call these girls and get back into doing, you know, the uh, buttock on injections. I drove home and thought about it and contacted my doctor friend and talked to him about it and um, asked him if he could help me get my supplies up.
0: Madam knew a doctor in Thailand who helped her stock up on the equipment she would need.
1: That's how I got back into it.
0: She did work on those two women, referrals from her friend, and says it sort of spiraled into more work And more referrals.
1: She posted before and after and then would call me up about a week later and literally had $50,000 worth of work for me to do. Mm. And that would take no more than six hours. From there, it culminated up to uh, those people would be satisfied and they would tell others. So I felt like I was empowering women by helping them become as lovely and curvaceous and bootylicious. As possible when women would see me or see my friends or the echelon of transgender girls that I run with a lot of it we would hear well my good God if silicone injection took you guys from lo- looking like boys to these beautiful women then I, I want some that's what it was everything just multiplied and just festered and went on from there
0: And what was it exactly that you were injecting into these people's bodies?
1: Um, As far as silicone, I offered three products. I offered Dow Corning, which wasn't a medical grade.
0: Let me just pop in here to say that no silicone is FDA-approved for cosmetic enhancements. Unlike when it's enclosed in a breast implant, injected silicone can migrate outside the injection site and could cause a blockage of a blood vessel, a stroke, an infection, and even death.
1: I was told that it was non-toxic. It's in me, it's in lots of women, uh, because it's more durable and it's the cheapest. uh, My middle ground, which was Silicon 1000, which was a more upper echelon. And then there was the Adatasil 5000 traveling overseas. I met a few connections that got it to me directly from the company, where I could buy it in large quantities, but it was very expensive. So I offered that to the more higher echelon of girls who could pay for that
0: none of the products you were using were meant to be injected into people right
1: my motto was that although i was making a ton of money i never i never was looking to hurt anyone
0: but you knew that it was dangerous Uh, right you'd heard about people getting being injured or even dying from this
1: not not dying not dying and not injured to the i heard that you're getting too much and looking like a mess when i felt like a woman had Enough, I'd say, that's enough. That's enough, girl. You, you're you perfect. You don't need any more. Now, as far as da- deadly dangers, no. I was getting it done with my friends from my upper teenage years all the way through to when I was, what, 27, 30 years old.
0: Madam says she started to make a name for herself. She rocketed from being the neighborhood pumper to an infamous figure in this underground trade. She also made a name for herself as a gothic rapper, and her music scene brought in even more clients. All of a sudden, she said she was popular and in high demand. On the wildest night of her career, she was invited to a house party hosted by an exotic dancer and was told to bring her supplies with her.
1: She was teaching somebody on the pole in her living room There'd be uh, tattoo artists. there'd be music blasting, there'd be marijuana in the back coming out of somewhere. It had at least maybe about seven or eight girls. I made about $100,000 that day. Yeah, there's a lot of money to be made in this business.
0: But Madam tells me that her love of the business went beyond money. It was also about how it made her feel.
1: I realized that I also loved being highly esteemed by the many women that will come to see me. And that's a big high, like a drug, I guess. But I didn't know that I was kind of addicted to something, but I'm, coming, I'm doing a little bit of therapy right now. Oh, I, I'm gonna send you a check.
0: Madam claims that well-known celebrities came to her for injections.
1: Knowing that a lot of these celebrities were finding their way to see me when they could have saw anybody. But they're coming, they're trailing the dirty road to Philly to see Madam, to be blessed by the Madam.
0: In my reporting, I heard that pumping parties were common, but they're incredibly difficult to access. The parties are all about efficiency, allowing pumpers to work on lots of clients at once. But Madam says that that party was actually the only one she's been to.
1: So I guess this is what le- leaked out into the media. Now, I just came here to do my work, my injections and all. But in the midst, it would be all this chaos going on a, a three-ring circus in her house. But usually, because I'm so much of an artistic and I get in my zone, I want to be one-on-one with a person. So I'd rather be very quiet, very professional, very subdued.
0: More after the break. There was evidence that you were misrepresenting yourself as a medical professional when, in fact, you weren't, that you were even using email addresses like Miami Plastic Surgery. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Were you pretending you Um, were a
1: medical professional? um, I did misrepresent myself. I would have on a lab coat. It wasn't to sway them thinking I was a medical profession. I just saw that this is how you should be if you're going to be doing certain things to a person. I had a whole sterility set up where I would uh, wipe down stuff and sterilize things as far as I was able to do. I had this whole thing going and it wasn't to mislead anyone. It was just that I was basically, this is what you do and this is how you protect people from getting an infection.
0: So looking back though now, you realize that you shouldn't have said any of it.
1: I should have been much more clear. I should have definitely said, uh, made it clear that I wasn't.
0: So Were you ever afraid of getting busted?
1: The fear really wasn't there about getting busted. It was more so because it was a cash business about getting robbed, basically. So most of the time, at least, I would have $20,000 on me, you know, uh, seeing a girl. In my mind, remember, I was getting this done since I was like 19, and that was never an issue. The cops didn't care about us trans girls and what we were doing. So that kind of permeated through my psyche. What do they care? Oh, they care when it's dealing with the genetic females.
0: And so Madam continued injecting. And clients came from far and wide to see her, including a 20-year-old dancer from England named Claudia. So, Madam, I was wondering if you could take me back to the first time you met Claudia. The
1: first time was in November, I went to see her along with uh, her friends uh, they flew in from London. And I, I did the procedures and everyone was fine. And I noticed that Claudia wasn't really satisfied. Uh, she had said that she was expecting a little more, basically. She shared with me that she was trying out for a music video uh, in London. And she got the leading girl part, but she was wearing um, fake buttock pads. And when they they realized it, they took the position away from her. So she was was rather desperate to try to um, get place back. And when she asked me for it, again, against my better judgment, I was willing to try to please her.
0: Madam arranged to meet Claudia again on a February evening in 2011 in a room at the Hampton Inn near the Philadelphia airport, this time. The appointment did not go as planned.
1: As I came in, of course, uh, we greeted each other. Greeted each other like friends, because basically this was her second time back, so we had um, a camaraderie amongst each other. I started my sterility setup where the beds were to my right as I'm walking through the door. The windows are straight ahead. There's an air conditioner on the left-hand side and the left-hand corner underneath the window. Once we had everything set up, I washed everything down with alcohol, including her. And, um, and we took it from there.
0: How much did you put into her?
1: She paid 1800 And for that, I probably would have given her maybe, I want to say two pints, pints in each buttock. I know I definitely put four holes in each because that was my technique that I used. She was kind of contorted back to look at me to make sure I was putting it all where she wanted it and everything. She was more so trying to direct me. By this time, there was still some silicone in the needle. And while she was looking at me, she said, could you give me that? One shot, I'm thinking, oh, just go ahead. And instead of me aspirating how I usually do, which is stick the needle in the buttock while it's empty, and withdraw to make sure you're not in the vein. If you're in the vein, blood will return. I just put the needle back in, and and that's when I noticed that she jumped. It was the last shot. It was the last shot that did it. I went on to do uh, her friend, that took about a half an hour. And then from there, I went down the hall to another room to do do the woman who should and Maybe 10 minutes into the session with uh, Chafe there came a knock on her door and it was Claudia coming in. And she was saying that, uh, could I fasten one of the sutures up a little more because it was, it came apart and it was leaking. So I said, no big deal. Um, go back to your room and I'll be in there in a second. And just as she was going back to the door, she started coughing and I asked her, was she okay? And she said, yes, she was fine. And once I got done with Shafay, I headed back over to Claudia Teresa's room And she was still coughing. And I said, well, this doesn't seem right. What's going on? Do you think we should call 911? What's going on? So I said, do you think it's that serious? She says, no, I'll be fine. So I was like, OK.
0: Chafee later said publicly that Madam wasn't as concerned as she says she was. Wouldn't you have gotten in trouble if somebody would have called 911? I mean, wouldn't they have found out that you were doing this illegal work?
1: It's something I would have dealt with at the time. I'm not somebody that's going to just sit around and let somebody... Just hurt. So mm-hmm. that's something I would have dealt with. Matter yeah. of fact, I I wouldn't be here if I'd have just done that. So. Yeah.
0: So you didn't call 911, and nobody did.
1: No, I didn't. I took her by her word, and I left. And I did check in. I checked in, and they just said that. Oh, they finally decided to call 911, and they're just doing going to do some routine tests. I called in a few times that evening, and then I went to sleep. And that morning, I woke up to hell. And I called Chafee to ask how was everything. When mm-hmm. she told me what do you think? RIP, baby. At first, I'm not gathering. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean, RIP? And she's like, um, what do you think? And then that's when she hit me with it. And I was, I, I, I'll never forget where I was. I was in my bedroom and I just immediately fell to my knees and dropped the phone. And, and I was just in a state of shock.
0: An autopsy found that Claudia Adrotimi died when the silicone entered her bloodstream, traveled to her heart and to her lungs, where it formed a clot and stopped blood flow. What happened after you found out that Claudia had died?
1: Oh, gosh. Let me go to the house. So I literally went to the house, wiping out my whole laboratory, Mm -hmm. wiping all the supplies out, getting rid of, I mean, millions of dollars worth of supplies.
0: Reports from The Times said that after this, Madame went on the run. When I asked her, she denies that and says that she was checking with her lawyers every day to see whether an arrest warrant had been issued. But it never was.
1: When I found out about Claudia, I didn't do the injection for almost a year. I literally was disgusted at the thought of even smelling the silicone.
0: But about a year later, things changed. Madam says a former client, a friend, contacted her, asking her to finish the work she'd started a year earlier.
1: And I said, well, I, I'm not comfortable with this. Let me think about it. I went home, I thought about it for a few days. I talked with my best friend and she was like, you know, girl, we've been doing this since we were 19. We ain't never heard about no crazy stuff about somebody buying from some silicone injections. And then she said, she said, if it was me asking you, come on, girl, give me some pill or give me some candy, because that's what they call it, I I would want you to do it. And so then um, she said, if they're your friends, then go ahead. And these girls, I consider my friends. And then I called her up a few days later, might have been a week, and I thought about it. And I said, I'll finish the work, but you guys got to buy the product.
0: So on the day of the appointment, February 29, 2012, Madam gets in her car and drives to her client's house.
1: I remember like it was yesterday. I was driving. I got jazz music playing. There's an ambulance coming opposite me as I'm waiting to turn into the CVS because I need to get a uh, glove. So I get what I need and I get on the street and as I'm pulling in, I do see something. I think it was like a burgundy, like what seemed to be a dope boy's car, but it looked like it could possibly be like an uh, undercover car too. That thought crossed my mind. I thought, hmm, no. And I went to my trunk, got my things out and rung the doorbell. When I got in, I noticed that the house was very quiet and subdued. now remember, this is the house that had three ring circus going on usually with weed and tattooing going on with the pole dancing and all of that. Well, today, the house was speaking Spanish. was nothing going on.
0: She sits down in this eerily quiet house and waits for her client.
1: Shortly thereafter, we get a knock at the door. And, and she goes and she looks out the window and very casually says, no, thank you. And she's like, oh, that's some Jehovah Witness people at the door. They persist again, and she got kind of upset and was like, well, my God, they're mighty persistent. So she goes back and she says, I said no. And then she looks, her face goes blank and she's like, oh my God, it's the cop. So immediately they're knocking and banging and then it starts turning into kicking. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my God, there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, well, I'm always gonna be dignified in whatever I do. So here they come all the cops start pouring in, guns drawn. And the cops came in, very handsome, undercover, came in and was like, oh, Miss Madam, just the person we're here for. I'm just sitting there like, oh, my Lord. And and that's when everything began. Two hours they had me sitting there. I'm not hostile, take me in. No, what they're doing is they're waiting for all the world's media to ascend on the street. I mean from CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox News, everybody. Were you guys there? You guys might have been there. We weren't there,
0: but there was a media circus.
1: He escorted me out where I realized what was going on the street was highly lit with all these lights. was my attorney?
0: Padge Victoria Winslow would not deny or admit to any wrongdoing when led away in handcuffs. The
1: first question came out was, Madam, are you guilty? I said my <laughs> lawyer was to, right to you. She asked me again with the mic in my face, like, well, where do we find them? And I told them, well, they'll find you, honey. And they ran crazy with that. She's so over the top. She's so arrogant. Madam.
0: Madam was arrested on charges of aggravated assault and deceptive business practices.
1: It was July the 24th, 7 p.m. The officers called into my cell and told me to get ready that I need to get dressed. And I asked him, like, why do I need to get dressed? What's going on? He didn't even want to look me in my eye to tell me. And he says, Paige, hey, uh, they're taking you down a homicide. You're being recharged. And they took me down to homicide at the roundhouse in Philadelphia, and they put that banana yellow wristband on me that had an M on for murder. And I was done. I was done. I was taken to the precipice of darkness.
0: She was recharged with third-degree murder. She pleaded not guilty, and the case went to trial.
1: I'll tell you, when I got arrested on February the 29th, 2012, there was still doubt that maybe it was, you know, other surrounding factors of Claudia's death.
0: Madam had doubts about whether she was really responsible for Claudia's death, and that was a central part of her testimony. But when a doctor took the stand, she says things started to change.
1: It was after sitting in the courtroom when I really came into the full, bright, harsh light of realizing that, oh my God, it was my hand that killed another human being through these injections. And hearing the expert medical testimony, I was like, oh my God, me and my friends and everybody that's been doing this has been playing this deadly game of Russian roulette. During the trial and the closing statements, the judge said, I heard a lot of arguments about what grade it was, and it really doesn't matter. This procedure should never be done, point blank, dot dash, period. It's not a game that you want to play to see if you could be the one to survive or the one not to. It's just dangerous. It's, it's dangerous.
0: Madame was convicted of third-degree murder in the death of Claudia Adoratimi, as well as the aggravated assault of another woman, someone she'd injected in 2012 who developed serious respiratory problems. She was also convicted of possessing an instrument of a crime the needle she used to inject silicone into her
1: clients. Going from making $100,000 in a few hours to going to jail and making 19 cents an hour, cleaning toilets, the guards would laugh and say, my God, I just Googled you and you were doing well for yourself and here you are now, the queen of the porcelain throne.
0: In 2015, Madame was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. She started advocating against silicone injections from behind bars. She even wrote a book about her black market work and says this advocacy will always be a big part of her life.
1: I knew that if anyone could make a difference and bring awareness to this to save lives, it would be, you know, madam, I was the best that ever did it. I am forever changed when it comes to this. There are lots of people and predators that will do it. And they will do it simply for the money. At least when I was doing it, You know, I love the money that I was making, I'm not going to lie. I thought I was helping people feel better about themselves and helping empower women. And now that I know better, I plan to do better because the silicone injections are not the way to go.
0: After our interviews, Madam called me one morning with an update.
1: To accept this free call, press 1. To refuse, you may start the conversation now. I wanted you to be the first to know... Yeah, I have some very juicy tantalizing information. I just got the unofficial buzz from an official that they're about to unleash the beast on the world. Madam is getting paroled. I literally, literally just had the information given to me and I have to say that this is one of the best days of my life. No, this is not even just saying this is, this is really, really, like, this is, like, one of the best days of my life. I, I don't even ever really remember feeling this way, except when I got my vagina.
0: The Traffic Podcast with Mariana Van Zeller is a companion to our TV series, Traffic from National Geographic and Muck Media. This episode was produced by Abby Spears and Margaret Katcher, with help from Francesca Fenzi. Sound design, editing, and mixing by Scott Kirk. Original music by Jeff Morrow. The Traffic Podcast with Mariana Van Zeller is produced by Margaret Katcher. Our associate producers are Abby Spears and Francesca Fenzi. Paula Benson is line producer. For National Geographic, Brian Gutierrez is special projects producer, and Jacob Pinter is special projects editor. Devar Ardalan is executive producer of audio at National Geographic. Executive producers for Nat Geo are Chris Albert, Bengt Anderson, Sean Johnson, and Devar Ardalan. And from Muck Media, executive producers Jeff Plunkett, Darren Foster, and me, Marianne Van Zeller. Subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Tell your friends to rate and review the show if you've enjoyed what you heard. And tune in to the Traffic TV show Wednesdays on the National Geographic channel or stream it on Hulu. Special thanks to Mark Levenstein, Todd Herman, Aaron Pfeiffer, and of course, the Black Madam herself.